All right, you can turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 10. We're going to continue on in our series in the Gospel of Mark. I'm going to read these verses and pray for us. We'll be on our way. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you that you speak to us, that even though these words weren't spoken directly to us, they are for us, and yet today you speak through them to us. God, I pray that our hearts would be soft and open, that we would hear and understand with our minds, but also that our hearts would leap to the sound of your voice and we would move close in to you. Thank you, Jesus. For your loving kindness towards us, let us see that more clearly today together. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Um, we've been moving through the Gospel of Mark, and this is, this is where we are today. And I'm stopping it at 12 verses because this will be more than enough for us today. Um, I want to say a few things um, at the outset. Um, this is because of what Jesus says and how he says it is going to move into a lot of places of pain and sensitivity for people in the room. I just want you to know that I know that you're here and I'm aware of that. And I would say to you, probably if everyone just holds on for a few minutes, maybe everybody's going to be added to that list one way or another, okay? So you are, you are not alone. You may be sitting here and thinking, as I'm talking, uh, he doesn't know me, and he wouldn't say this if he knew me and he know my, knew my story. You may be right. <laughs> I, I can't speak to every individual person and circumstance. So if, after the fact, you would like to come talk to me and say, okay, but me personally... Uh, we can definitely set up a time to do that. And just know, you may be right. I, I may not say exactly the same thing to you if I knew your story. And I, I need you to know beforehand this, this truth. I think Jesus is the kindest, most gentle, best person in the history of the world. And, and I want you to be able to hear this from him 
and to arrive eventually at that same conclusion. So if it feels like we are drifting away from, from that truth, hold on, okay? That is my conviction, and that is the place from which I am starting. Jesus, in the Gospel of Mark, is on his way to Jerusalem. In Mark's narrative, this is the great movement of his whole gospel, that everything is now running south to Jerusalem. And he is here on his way, and the Pharisees stop to test him because they are, they are inviting Jesus into a kind of trap, which Jesus knows. He's seen it many times. He's, he's wise to their tricks. He's being asked to comment on a relevant theological debate of the day. This story is retold in Matthew chapter 19, and Matthew, because, like all the other gospel writers, says more than Mark. We get a little more details to help us uh, be clued in to what is going on here. The question that Matthew says of the Pharisees asks, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? And this is really what people argue about. There are two rabbinical uh, ways of thinking about marriage and divorce. One of them says, as they read Deuteronomy chapter 24, which Jesus references and the Pharisees reference, they read Deuteronomy 24 as saying, if a man finds something serious and significant, uh, an offense from his wife, i.e. adultery, he may divorce her. He may write her a certificate of divorce. There is another rabbinical school of thought that reads Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 5, and says if a man finds anything wrong with his wife, he may divorce her. Without exaggeration, down to she burns the dinner too many times, she may be divorced. And this, this is not like a small minority opinion. This is probably the majority view in the day. That divorce is free and it's open and it's available to many people. And Jesus is being asked to put himself on this spectrum and to comment under what circumstance is it possible, permissible for a man to divorce his wife. And Jesus very clearly picks a camp. He, he doesn't pick the second one. He, he has a very, very strict view of when it is possible for allowable for a man to divorce his wife. And he nests that argument not in just commenting on Deuteronomy chapter 24. He goes what comes before it in the scriptures. The law in the Hebrew mind and in the scriptures, in your Bible, does not come from the very beginning of the pages. The pages, starting in Genesis chapter 1, do not have law in them. And so Jesus jumps to what is before the law and what is before sin. And he says, this is the intention that God had in constructing the institution of marriage, weaving it into creation, is that a man and a woman will be married together. They are joined together and they should not be separated. And the disciples, you can hear, are, are they are like, can I... Can I get some clarity on this? They, they perhaps expect Jesus to be in the majority camp. In Matthew's telling of this, it says the disciples are, 
are astonished and, and a bit concerned in their questions. And Jesus then goes a step beyond even with the strict view of divorces when he describes remarriage. Because he says, it's essentially not allowed. And this is new. This, this view is new. Because in the law, when a woman, and, and it almost always works that way, that a man would give a woman a divorce, and that, that's important to note, the, the agents are free. There, there are some restrictions on who they may marry, or if they might marry and then divorce and then come back to each, each other, that's not allowed. But Jesus offers this very, very strong language. If you divorce, if you remarry, you commit adultery, or you cause her to commit adultery. And this, the disciples are truly, truly astonished by. And you'll notice in, in the Gospel of Mark, in the book that we're in, you'll notice Jesus' Jesus's words are very brief and succinct. He just says, divorce is not allowed, remarriage is not allowed. When Matthew tells the story, he will, he will put in this clause. He says that Jesus says, if there's adultery, you may divorce. If somebody cheats on the other person, then you may divorce. And the reason Mark may not have put that in there is because that was a sort of assumed right and good thing that if there was adultery, divorce was permitted. So Mark didn't feel like that needed to be uh, brought to the fore. But the, the case for divorce is very small. A justified divorce in Jesus' explicit teachings is only in the circumstance of adultery. The, the Christian tradition has wrestled with this because what we recognize is divorce is messy, marriages are messy. There are all kinds of difficult, hard situations that, that make a lot of people say, yeah, but what about? And, so, and some of them are good, but what about? So Paul in 1 Corinthians will comment on what about like if you're married as a Christian to a non-Christian and that non-Christian says, I don't want to be married to you on the basis of your faith and they abandon you. Paul says, you, you are free. You are loosed from your marriage. You, you can be done. Christians have listened to that and to what Jesus said. And, and most Christians would say, I, I included, that in marriages where there's persistent and unrepentant abuse, that is a kind of abandonment that is equal to what Paul said. You should leave that marriage. But by and large, the Christian tradition's moral reasoning is anchored to this, what Jesus says. You should not, you should not be divorced. And the question then of what happens after your divorce is really hard that you should not be remarried lest you sin. And here, here Christians really wrestle with what this means. And I, I really don't have time to do an ethical le lecture. I, I have been doing that myself for the past 10 days, reviewing 
what, what the case for and against all of these things are. And there are Christians who will, will basically say it says exactly and only what Mark says, and you should never be remarried. This is essentially the, the position of the Roman Catholic Church with some caveats. And there are other Christians who say, basically, if you're forgiven of sin, Jesus forgives all your sins, you might as well just get remarried. Anybody can be remarried. And all I can tell you is, that second option isn't seem to be how the disciples took it. <laughs> they were pretty taken aback by what Jesus said. It certainly doesn't feel like, for Christians, for people following Jesus... And his teachings, being mastered by him, having him be the one who gets to tell you what to do. It does not seem for Christians that just any sort of divorce, any sort of remarriage is is permissible and available to you. But from there, the way that Jesus reasons about this question opens up all kinds of doors that begins to expand the room from just people who are divorced and remarried. Because Jesus says this is about something woven into the fabric of creation. So what about my friends who I love, who have no desire to be married to a member of the opposite sex? but do desire to be married to somebody of the same sex. Jesus has grounded his reasoning in the creational example of a man and a woman. And there's no room in how Jesus reasons for two people of the same gender to be married. You know, that, that can... You can search the rest of the words of Jesus and say, you know, that's not really the question that's in view here. That's probably not what he's talking about. But this is some of Jesus's, it is perhaps Jesus's most explicit teaching on the nature of marriage. And this is all he says. There are no other words recorded, zero recorded words in the Gospels where the door is open to marriage between two people of the same gender. And we know that Jesus does not have a problem offending people. We know that Jesus does not have a problem stepping out ahead of where the culture is. And I would point to this passage as just one example. Jesus is fine being in disagreement. So it's not just that the people that are listening to him are not prepared to hear it. Jesus says all kinds of things that they're not prepared to hear. Woven into the picture and story of creation, into the nature of marriage itself, is this picture of different, differentiated pairs being brought together to bring life. If you read the creation account, it is on purpose that you are told that God created the heavens and the earth, the land and the seas. It is the differentiation of two things being brought together that brings life and fruitfulness. And that same theme in Genesis 1 and 2 runs right into man and woman. It is just a fact of nature that you must have both man and woman. To make new life. And for us, that reasoning about the nature of marriage is foreign. For us, 
Today, in the 21st century in the West, marriage is primarily about your own personal fulfillment, happiness, romance, companionship, all wonderful things. But the biblical reasoning, the way that a first century Jewish person thinks, the way that Jesus of Nazareth would think, the way that the Bible reasons until then, doesn't think the same way that we do. And to imagine that we would come to this place and time and to find Jesus talking and thinking like us, that's highly unlikely. And so Jesus, he reaffirms this understanding of the nature and the place of marriage between a man and a woman. Okay, but when you start looking at that and thinking about that, and I start telling you that the creation was intended to have this picture of a, of a man and a woman faithfully united with unbreaking commitment, producing life together. What about all the people that I know who carry the heartbreak of being married together and cannot produce life? They wrestle with childlessness. And the grief that they feel, that they are being excluded from this very story that Jesus is in himself retelling. That they feel the weight of something that they would say, I was made to participate in this story and I don't know why that it doesn't fit. I don't know why I don't get to play a part. What about my, my friends who I care about? who would say, okay, Jesus has this picture of the way that things were meant to be, and he describes uh, the creation of a man and a woman, but what about if my experience of gender doesn't exactly line up with that very neat and tidy binary? Now, I might look like one thing and feel like another. Those people exist. What do they feel when they see this? What about people who are in the room right now? who say this story that Jesus is telling, the, the thing that anchors his moral reasoning, is a, is a thing that I want to be a part of. I've wanted to be married my entire life. And here I am, another year of being single. Why isn't that story available to me? What about the, the people who seem to fit the picture of what Jesus is describing? Who have all the, the boxes ticked for the recipe for a successful and happy marriage? Who are Christians who come to church and in the dark, they fire up their smartphones, their imagination. And the person that they are bound to is not the one they are fantasizing about. They live in the appearance of what Jesus describes, but live a good portion of their life in the dark, longing in some way to be joined to something that is not theirs. What about people who are here in the room, whose, whose story is marked by the relationship and divorce of others completely against 
your own will and outside of your own responsibility. It was what I saw in my parents. It was the divorce papers handed to me against my will. Where do I fit in Jesus' story? What Jesus says and how he says it and why he says it is incredibly important. And by the time you start pulling on every single string of what it is that Jesus means and the implications of what that means, by that time, everybody in the room is implicated. And that is very characteristic of Jesus' teaching. You know, we can, we can flip over to Matthew 5 through 7 and read the Sermon on the Mount. And for much of it, I could ask most of you, all of you, and say, okay, now who feels good about where they stand? Jesus has this way of implicating everyone. The, the reaction of the disciples in Matthew chapter 19 is, is something I think that you and I probably can identify with. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. Because they're just so overwhelmed by the vision of what he describes. They say, nobody, nobody can live up to this. And Jesus, in his comments about why divorce exists, why marriages fall apart, why there is an allowance, a reality, a recognition of the reality that things don't work out, that things are not neat, not tidy, they are often painful, and marriages get wrecked and they get dissolved. The reason Jesus gives is hardness of heart. It is for hardness of heart that there is allowance made for you in the law. And the truth is that every bit, all of the pain that you and I can bring into this particular passage in this particular conversation is likewise. It's not even necessarily your own hardness of heart that might be an issue. You might have been cut by the sharp edges of somebody else's hardness of heart. But all of these questions about all of these different kinds of people all ultimately lead back to issues of the heart that is hardened against this original picture and vision of what Jesus said creation was always meant to be. Why? Why? Why is this the story that God is putting in the garden? Especially as a Christian... If you think about it, Jesus says marriage is a temporary arrangement. Jesus says that marriage and the giving in marriage will one day cease when the kingdom comes. 
So marriage is a temporary state of things in creation. Why? Why this high demanding view of things? Because in the days that we live in, where things are not yet, the whole of creation was meant to tell us something about God. The whole of creation was meant to tell us that God is the one who is faithful in his love and commitment to his people now and always. Everything that we were meant to see and to experience was meant to be an angled mirror of his own glory. And humans were invited to participate. People, men and women, we were all meant to participate, to taste his own life and fruitfulness, and to be agents and representations of his own character into the world. We were meant for this kind of vision, whether you are single or not. We were meant to see it and be interwoven into it, to be carried along by it as a people, as humans. Because you and I were meant to see a faithful character that comes from God himself. And ultimately, Jesus is the exemplification of that character. Jesus knows the hardness of heart that would bring you to pain when when he says these things. And notice, when Jesus gives this teaching, he does not say everybody who is implicated, everybody who falls short, everybody who cannot live up to this standard... You cannot be close to me. He doesn't, Jesus talks about an unforgivable sin in the Gospels. This is not it. Jesus does not say to the people who have, who have committed adultery or caused somebody else to commit adultery or transgressed any of the bounds of what marital relations is supposed to be. He doesn't look at anybody, any of us, and say, if you fall short of, of this, then there's no hope for you. You are done. Jesus merely describes where the boundaries are, where you transgress them, and leaves you to be made aware of the truth of things, that you are outside of what God would intend. You have have fallen away or you have been pushed away. And so we experience the pain of being separated away from what God would intend, and yet Jesus stands there as As God himself saying, you are not yet too far gone. So you as a divorced person, if your your divorce was illegitimate, if you sinned in getting divorced, Jesus is not saying, unforgivable, you're out. 
If you've been remarried when you shouldn't have been remarried, Jesus is not looking at you and saying, you're out. If you're somebody who is struggling against pornography in the dark, in the context of your own marriage, Jesus is not saying, you're doomed. If you're a person who doesn't experience a gender binary in the same way, Jesus does not look at you and say, you're doomed. If you are somebody who experiences same-sex attraction, Jesus is not saying, you're doomed. He is not looking at anybody in any of these characteristics qualities and characteristics and saying these are the unforgivable sins. Jesus is describing a world that we live in. We live in the realities of the hardness of heart. Jesus will tell you the truth about it. And what he will say and demonstrate to you is that his heart towards you is so soft. He is not hard-hearted to you. He knows. He knows that the pain of this world has pushed and pulled you. He knows that the work of your own hands that is sinful, it would crush you and overwhelm you. He knows that people have done things to you that were outside of your control. And to nobody in this room is Jesus' heart hard. The dominant image, metaphor, that the New Testament writers will use for Jesus is that he is a bridegroom and his people are his bride. At the end of all things, in the book of Revelation, the culmination of Jesus coming back to complete what he started is that the bridegroom returns for his people, his bride, and there is a feast, a wedding. And Jesus then goes and makes war on what has beset his people to destroy the power of evil and darkness. And in Revelation chapter 19, do you know what they call him and say his name is? Faithful and true. Jesus is faithful and true. And he knows that you and I are people of unfaithfulness. He knows it. And yet his desire is for people like you and me who have dirtied our hands in all kinds of things, marriage or not. Jesus presents himself not as an equal partner with you, but as the faithful one in the marriage who will not let the relationship die. The one who will ride to your defense and rescue you. And if you have a vision of marriage, of sexuality, of gender, of anything, without that picture at the very middle, nothing of Jesus' ethical instructions will make sense. I cannot stand up here and say, just be better. Just be faithful. Just do what he said. Because it'll never work. 
unless this Jesus, who would name himself as the great bridegroom of your soul, stands at the center. If you are here today and you are feeling the weight of your own failure, and maybe I didn't even put a name to your failure. You, you somehow escaped and your own particular failure was not named or described. But everybody who's in here ought to be able to find in themselves some place where Jesus would pull back the curtains and pull back the light, put it on these things that we try to hide. And if you have been trying to deal with those things all by yourself, perhaps you have felt no reason, no justification at all to try to make yourself feel better because you don't feel bad. But for the first time, you maybe are hearing Jesus' words and saying, maybe, maybe God's view of me and the way things ought to be, they do not match. And you are unsure of what it is that you should do. Jesus is not looking to you and saying, get out of here, figure it out, get back to me when you're cleaned up and good. Instead, what he is saying is, I have thrown the lights on on purpose so that you see what I've always seen. And I love you. And I will be to you faithful and true if you will just turn around. If you will just look at me with your questions. How could anyone, why would I ever, is there a place for me like this? And Jesus will be Jesus to you. His heart will be soft to you and you will be welcomed into his household forever. And if you are here today and you are caught in the turmoil of this, these are not new things for you. They are the things that make up sort of some of the, the emotional landscape of your life. You need to be reminded that Jesus knows about you too. And you may be living a reality that other people just overlook. Whether it's the pain of your divorce, the questions of remarriage, the, the struggle of being single, whatever it is, Jesus is well aware of you. Even if your friends, your church does not acknowledge you in the ways that you would wish, the ways that you would need, Jesus has not forgotten you. You are loved by him and to you, he will be faithful and true. He will be good to you. And you may carry the mark and the pain of things in this world being driven by hardness of heart for a long time. You may carry those wounds until the day that you see him face to face. But one day you will see him. And he will tell you the truth. He has seen every one of your tears. And he himself will wipe them away. And you will know suffering no more because you will live in his household and he will never fail you, ever. We as a people are defined not by the failures and the sins of our own life, but by the faithfulness of Jesus. That is the great miracle, the good news of the gospel. Today, the gospel is for all of us 
no matter what we struggle with, where we fail, where we sin or have been sinned against. The faithfulness of Jesus defines my story and yours. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. You will always be safer coming closer to Jesus. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you that you are faithful and true, that you're good, that you see all kinds of people in the room that there is no one who is too far off. God, I thank you that you meant that the world was supposed to tell this story. It was supposed to mirror faithfulness and goodness. And God, I also know, as much as I know that, that the world doesn't look like the way that it should. My world, their world, our world together. And Jesus, I just pray for everyone who's living and feeling the pain of that disconnect today. I pray that the disjunction between the way things ought to be and the way things are would not be an invitation to rely more deeply upon ourselves, would be, but be to rely upon Jesus. God, I thank you that Jesus makes it so clear the high, great goodness of who you are and the very stooping down low of your love for us. Thank you for your patience, your gentleness, and your love towards us. It is our great hope, Lord Jesus. And we're so grateful that in you our hopes are not ill-founded, but secure. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.